0: The balance between preparedness and panic, the Columbus income tax hike, and the state budget debate takes a sharp turn to the right. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record.
1: From the Battelle
2: studio at WOSU at Coside, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Ann Fisher, writer for the Columbus Dispatch. William Hershey, House Bureau Chief for the Dayton Daily News. Michael Daniels, co-publisher of Outlook Magazine. And Mark Weaver, Republican Strategist.
0: Worries over the swine flu outbreaks have not spared Ohio, even though there is only one confirmed case and only a handful of suspected cases in the Buckeye State. State and local health officials quickly geared up their pandemic prevention efforts. They opened emergency centers, held news conferences, and told us over and over again to wash our hands. Michael Daniels, health officials have a delicate balance here. They have to spread the word about this serious situation, but not panic, people.
2: How are they doing? Um, I think they're doing okay. I mean, I think that what they're doing is they're coming out and they're saying, this is the flu. It's a different variety of the flu. It's H1N1. It's swine flu. It's something different. But it's the flu. So try not to cough with your mouth open. Try to wash your hands frequently. And try not to freak out otherwise. And I think they're doing a pretty good job of it so far.
0: The, is the public viewing it that way, or is it because of the media attention, because of the news conferences, and because of the daily updates that we,
3: are we is, it, is it more of a panic? Here? I found people are making fun more of media than they are of public officials mm. so far. And they think a lot of it's, the pot is stirred mostly by the national media and uh, you know, their constant 24 hour eye.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, I heard one comment,
0: this is a May sweeps conspiracy because <laughs> it is May sweeps and there's no snow in May. This is as well, close as we but let's I mean.
1: First of all, I, I agree with Mike that I think that it looks like it's just the flu or a weird strain of it. Let's not forget, in 1918, probably the biggest natural disaster in world history 50 to 100 million people, strong, able bodied people in their 20s and 30s, were dead in days. Um, And so let's be careful, but it sounds like this is not that, but it's certainly possible that if we see a strain like that, all of these precautions have to be brought up, and we need to be at least thinking about whether or not something's going
3: to be a pandemic. Well, our world is not that anymore either. Our technology and our medicine is not that. Um, our standards of care and, and cleanliness are not what it was back then. It, certainly, I mean, it's it's a it's a dangerous thing. I mean, I hopefully it was I wasn't making fun of it. I I think that, like I said, folks aren't making fun of the public officials that are making putting out the warnings. They're mostly it's kind of that eye that 24-hour eye on it that. It's the problem. And
2: and I think that's right. I think that's exactly what it is. And you look at the fact that it started in Mexico, and they've now, listening to NPR and some other places where they're talking about the neighborhoods that this is most affecting in Mexico, are neighborhoods that haven't had running water ever. Um, That water is being brought in on trucks, and that's the way it's always been, but now they're being asked to wash their hands more frequently and to wash their dishes more frequently, and so forth. And so there's just a lack of that kind of thing.
4: I think public officials have to be on guard. I think their reaction so far has been appropriate. Uh, They haven't overreacted. We haven't seen Governor Strickland uh, call it the killer flu, or even President Obama. But because of our common border with Mexico and the back and forth, uh, I I think that they have to be on guard. We expect it from them.
0: And they have been preparing for this for the past five years. We've We've gone to the meetings where they discuss how we should handle a pandemic flu. We've seen the ads. And we so have this drugs
4: on hand already. We got more drugs from the federal government, but uh, the amount we got was less than we already had here. So we, we've we been, as you said, ready for this. We've for both adults and children. Right. Well, the, government, the
1: government's the government been ready, but I think this exposes an important policy issue. We as Americans are so distracted by other things that we're not ready for a natural disaster. If there, Let's say this were the killer flu, I don't think it is. If it were, it would be weeks to get people to understand it and then take basic precautions like wearing a mask. In 1918, people went to the baseball game. There's great photos of this everyone in the stands and every player on the field with a mask on because they knew it was an airborne virus. I doubt that we'd be able to get America up to speed fast enough to stop an outbreak.
0: Well just the testing process, I mean the Columbus on Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday said that we have probable cases, but it was going to take four days to confirm yeah, it. I mean because they all had to be sent to Atlanta. I mean at the te- so that's people say okay it's probable in all likelihood it is you You'd think but it still takes five days just to get the test results back. That has to be sped up, you'd mm-hmm. think, to... to, to uh,
3: well, they, could, they can you know do a swab of your nose or your back of your throat or whatever for the flu now, a regular flu, a regular strain, and they can have it to you within minutes. Um, I'm not quite sure what the differ- difference is um, unless um, CDC has to uh, verify it and validate yeah. it officially.
0: I think it goes up the ladder. You have your seasonal flu, and then you have your flu type A, I think it is, which is a non-seasonal flu then you become a suspected case and they have to confirm that it's the H1N1 swine flu. Uh, The balance in between disclosing information that the public needs to know and patient privacy rights, that comes up. Like there was an OSU Medical Center staffer who apparently has a probable case. Uh, We don't know what this person's job was, how many people he may have
1: come in contact with. What's What's the proper balance there? Well, we don't need to know people's names. But if someone at OSU Hospital, and I don't know that that's true, but let's say, let's say it is, uh, was exposed, then we need to be able to let people know who've been to that hospital so they can take basic precautions. Is Every one of us is responsible for protecting ourselves. Whether it's a hurricane or a tornado or a flood or a killer flu, it's our job to protect ourselves. It's not the government's job to protect us, although they should warn us and help. But bottom line, your family is responsible for protecting yourself. And so we need information to be able to do
4: that. We can't let the government or the hospital use privacy as a a crutch to cover up information we need to have or that might be embarrassing to them for example if they've handled the case incorrectly i'm sure they tried to correct themselves Uh, agencies governments always want to use privacy as a way to no offense to mark with whom i disagree sometimes uh, (laughs) but that does happen we have to guard against that
0: yeah i mean it seems like as reporters, you know the the privacy, especially with the healthcare facilities, the privacy laws the, the guard goes up, and it, you question sometimes
3: how, how private it has to be. But I agree with Mark. We don't need the names, yeah. but we need to know what what the what, what the formalities were around it and how they handled it, and, and be very clear about that.
0: Some of the comments I've heard just in the past few days. I'm not going to eat at a Mexican restaurant. Was a question. Was a comment I heard. Another comment was, I don't want my coworker to come to work because she recently came back from Mexico. And the one I heard today on the BBC, on WSU radio, she compared a sneeze at the
3: Mexico City airport to being threatened by an AK-47. I mean... I bet you more people have come back from Mexico with yeah. the, what is it called? You know... Montezuma's Revenge. Montezuma's <laughs> Revenge right now <laughs> than has com- have come back with this flu virus. Um, the problem is that they're spreading, and it yep. spreads, and Montezuma's revenge is just, you know, isolated to yep. the individual that had the bad water or whatever. So um, I think that those uh, those are kind of, I think, some of them, particularly the Mexican restaurant comment, is very ignorant and uh, misplaced. I think
4: those were attitudes that people had before this happened, right. and this uh-huh. gave them a chance to voice those uh, opinions.
1: Well, here's where the media could help, is let's not focus on where it's coming from. Let's focus on whether this is a killer flu. Flu kills young people and old people every year because they're weak, infirmity, or weak immunities. And so as a result, we're not surprised by that. Is this the kind that if an able-bodied, strong person gets, they die in a week or two? If that's the case, then all of those fears, although kind of not well-founded, are understandable. But if it's just that you might get it and you might be sick for a few weeks with a weird strain of it, this panic is not worth it because most people can live through the flu and
2: i think this is where it becomes important to when you're dealing with something that's scientific like this it becomes important to call it what it really is to call it h1n1 because then people can say oh it's that particular strain of flu that i have to worry about if you start calling it the mexican flu or the swine flu then you open it up to oh can i get that from eating a burrito can i get that from eating bacon can i get that from driving by a pig farm and i think that we in the media, maybe not those of us at the table, but, but people in the media tend to want to give something a nice, catchy name. You know, every serial killer is, has to have a, a different you know, name attached to it so that it's something that's catchy and, it, and it's uh, something that picks up quickly in a sound bite. I think we do a disservice to the public when we do that. OK,
0: let's get to our next topic. We all knew it was coming. We just didn't know when, and we didn't know how much. Now we do. This week, Mayor Coleman made it official. He wants to raise the city's income tax. The mayor will ask voters to approve a 25% increase in the income tax. It would go from 2% to 2.5%. If passed, it would bring in an extra $97 million a year. Voters will say yes or no in an early August special election. And, Fisher, one of the many memorable quotes from this news conference, the mayor said that they've cut to the bone, and now they're about to cut their limbs off. (laughs) <laughs> are
3: the voters <laughs> going to believe that? Uh, well, I, the voters inside, for, you know, inside Columbus, um, which is where it, it, th- they're going to vote in, it may, <laughs> uh, they're the ones that, whose city services are affected um, one way or the other, uh, depending on how the vote goes. Um, the larger community that may be affected by that, the larger metropolitan area, um, that's going to be many of whom, you know, I think the, the larger number, I, th- I think it's something like 60%, of the payroll tax uh, would come from people who live outside of Columbus. They may not <laughs> believe yeah. it because their city services will be affected by it. Um, but I think that the arm, I, I, I don't know, know—I—I—you I, know th- as far as how much it was going to be and, and that kind of thing, yeah. I think we sort of knew when he came out with his proposal to cut spending over the course of 10 to 12 years. Yeah. Um, that, that became pretty clear, but um, <laughs> I, I think that people inside the city are concerned about their city services. They've already cut a few things just to see how it, you know, see how it feels. Um, they're saying that uh, the reason why they need to put it on the August ballot is because it's the, the, the revenues are going down that far that fast.
1: Mike Coleman picked the wrong week to use that kind of rhetoric because the same week he said, we've already cut to the bone, now we have to cut limbs. Uh, One of the regular panelists on this show, Emily Reamer, aired a piece that showed that his uh, police officers who he uses for personal drivers have higher overtime in the hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, than Cleveland or other cities that are similar in size to Columbus. And so it sounds like there could be some more cutting, and not just to the bone, but maybe some fat in the mayor's own office. And one of the reasons why people vote down tax increases is when they think the policymakers have not cut their stuff first. And so that was a tough week for for him to use that rhetoric, to have a a news report come out and show that he has not been careful with how he's used police drivers. I think
2: there's a couple of things. I think Ann's exactly right. I live inside the city of Columbus, and I have pretty much seen the city already start to cut its limbs off. The rec center in my my neighborhood is closed. The police that are patrolling my neighborhood are cut by half. I no longer have yard waste pickup in my front yard. And I'm not sure that I'm not going to have to pay for trash. Um, On the other side of things, income taxes haven't been increased since the year I graduated from high school. That was a really, really long time ago.
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was.
2: 1983. Um, so, I mean, I think it's time for for this kind of thing to happen. And I agree with Mark. I think there are some things you have to take a look at in terms of, of how things are going to play to the public. But let's be realistic. You, We're at the point where we can no longer cut and slash and hack and save our way to prosperity in this city. There has to be some way to increase the revenue base to support the services that I think citizens of Columbus demand. And so, if anything, I think, that I think the percentage of the tax Increases the right number. Um, I think they're late. I think this should have come a long time ago. But I predicted it back in November. So,
0: the August versus November argument it costs more to have a special election. It's about a half a million dollars. You know,
4: not it costs more to have it in November. If you lose and you're the mayor, though, it costs you a lot politically. That's the only reason they're having in an August. Uh, and I think that the opponents may argue against that. But as Ann said, most of the people who will be affected, I think it's 58, 60 percent live outside the city yep. who'll pay for it. And the mayor's trying to sell it that way. It's an us-against-them thing, almost. So, I mean, it's this was the campaign with the longest prelude i've ever seen in my life the mayor would agonize and agonize and agonize and agonize and i got tired of it
3: you said he looked in the mirror and
4: yeah he looked in the mirror
3: to me it's been going on for about a year and a half and yeah. people say they don't know they didn't know this and was he coming he also brought
4: the city council <laughs> the police chief probably the drivers of uh, the waste trucks to the news conference with him there was barely room for anybody else i think he's right we do probably the city could use this money but it's been very well orchestrated, and I don't know if, if Mark thinks so, maybe over-orchestrated at this point. Well,
1: we do know that voters in tough economic times don't like to improve, uh, approve tax increases. Now, they pick picked the, uh, the election that's most likely to result in a favorable passage, but little things like thinking the people at the top have not been careful with tax dollars, even though they don't amount to a lot of money, tend to stick in the craw of voters. Well, and I think Mike Coleman's spending habits in his office are going to be front and center in August, and that could be the undoing of this. I'm not sure who's vote. going to be
3: uh, orchestrating anything against it, however. And uh, and, and also, I'm... Um, uh, I think that's what the whole, this is my plan for the next 10 to 12 years and how we're going to ta- cut spending and how we're going to cut waste in city government, he'll, he'll throw that out in front of whatever he proposes for a tax increase every single time. Um, we propose this and now we need this. Um, uh, but I, I, I don't know where the orchestration's going to come How about from. the Make
0: the Out-of-Towners Pay, that campaign? Right, how vocal push. can it be and how, will it, does it have any kind of a, a can it backfire? Oh, absolutely.
2: I I think that any time we play us versus them, whether we play City of Columbus versus County of Franklin or whether we play County of Franklin versus County of contiguous to Franklin, I I think that always has a has a really strong chance of backfiring. I think that what we have to talk about is that all these people who may not live in the City of Columbus but who work here and therefore are paying City of Columbus property to our City of Columbus income taxes um, when they drive into the city of columbus they 're being protected by columbus city police they' being their buildings that they work in are being covered by Columbus fire. So, I mean, they, their trash is being picked up by City of Columbus off the back of their building. So it's not like they're not going to get any benefit from any of this kind of stuff. The fact, they wouldn't be taxed in this in this district if they didn't come here and spend a significant amount of time here, and they are going to benefit from, from those same things, just like those of us who live here do.
1: Yeah, and there's, there's no truth to the rumor that the slogan the mayor wants to use is, let's throw Dublin under the bus. I think that was ruled out very early on. <laughs> well, Perhaps New Albany, but Dublin will not no, be uh, the part of that you know, slogan. You
3: know, some of the suburbs want to raise their own taxes, yeah. but yeah. none of them can because they can't. Re- they can't risk the comp- competition um, for businesses. Uh, right now so it all starts with Columbus ultimately and some of them I think are probably you know doing this right now waiting to raise their own taxes if this passes because they'll have to.
0: Might they be doing this saying okay Columbus is going to raise theirs to two and a half we're going to keep ours at two and then maybe over the next five years we can attract businesses that might have gone to Columbus. I would say
3: no because I think a lot of them are short on change, loose change too. They're all struggling. I mean uh, Worthington just posted a a big drop in revenues. They're all scratching for money right now and and it looks better when the big city does it first
4: i i just want to add a different perspective i think us versus them is effective it's ugly and it's not nice and has the potential to backfire but that's one reason he's having it in august he wants a limited electorate he wants people who live in the city say you're not going to have to pay for this they'll pay for it And I I think that's a way to get votes for something like this.
2: Okay,
0: let's get to our third topic. Republicans in the Ohio Senate, they've been waiting very patiently. They've been waiting for Democrat Ted Strickland and the Democrat-led House to present their plans for spending state tax dollars. Now the GOP-led Senate has its chance. The House approved and sent to the Senate its two-year budget this week. It totals $54 billion. Bill Hershey, how much different is this Senate budget plan going to be than what we've seen so far?
4: Very uh, they were already rolling out red carpets over there for the charter school people. They'll probably hire sedan chairs to bring them into the hearings on school funding. Uh, <laughs> this will be very different. And Senate President Harris, who's a pretty mild-mannered guy, the mild manner sort of mask his Marine background, said he wished he'd have had this budget three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, I wish I'd have had it four weeks <laughs> ago. So they're upset that they're getting it so late. Uh, nobody seems to understand the quirky math of uh, Governor Strickland's Budget Office, uh, and I think that the Senate has finance people who probably know as much or more about the state budget than Strickland's own budget makers, so they're going to tear the budget apart, put it back together, uh, and we'll probably recognize it because it'll have the same amount of money, but it'll be, for, it'll be different.
1: Well, let's remember how strongly Senate President Bill Harris feels about this issue. Right after the 2008 election, when the Democrats won the House, Senator Harris, on his own volition, put out a statement saying, my message to the governor, do not cut charter schools, do not try to stop school choice. This was on his own, he said, this last November. He feels very strongly, and the reason why they'll be welcoming some of these families who go to uh, charter schools is because the House was not very accommodating to them. In fact, making many families wait up to eight hours with children fidgeting just to have their say. The Senate has already had a couple hearings, as Bill knows. They've been more accommodating by saying, you know what, if you're here with a child and you want to testify, you go first. We'll make the bureaucrats and the policy wonks wait, rather than the moms with the kids who are hungry and need to go to the bathroom.
0: But charter schools doesn't solve the revenue problems and the and the economic problems. It's, yeah. a, it's an important issue, but it's not a big dollar issue no, in the grand right. scheme of things. Well,
4: it's it for each charter school. Yes, but for the state uh, budget-wise. And that's, you know, for the state budget, to make it something people care about, you have to reduce it to how it affects you. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason that people who are against child abuse and issues like that were effective in getting more money in the in the House. And the Senate will be sympathetic to that, but they'll also be sympathetic to these kids that Mark was talking about. Well,
1: we're talking 80,000 families who, if the governor's proposal goes through, will not have the same school to go to next year. And by the way, if they're forced back into traditional public schools, there's no accounting for that money-wise. So the governor is saying that this plan is now constitutional. Here's the fib he's telling, and the dispatch has laid this out in recent articles, is that he has used what the Supreme Court calls residual budgeting. That's legal talk for spreading your mortgage out over so many years that you can afford it. You know somebody who buys a nice car? You say, how can you afford that nice car? Well, it's only a 15-year payment plan. Well, most of us would never take a 15-year payment plan for a car, but that's what the governor has done. He's not paid for it with current dollars, which means it is still unconstitutional under the Supreme Court standard. The
0: criticism is that the Democrats have used one-time money, relied too heavily on the stimulus money from the federal government. But aren't the Republicans going to see that $8, million, $8 billion and say, you know, okay, we don't want that? that are they going to re- legitimately say that?
3: Why? No. No. I was going to say, I can't see them letting go of that like they have in other states, not at all.
1: No, that's not their issue. Their issue is for a governor who said, I will be a failed governor if I don't solve school funding, number one, this doesn't solve it because if we can get past this next two years, and that's a big F, there will be such a giant budget gap every school district will have to have a levy, the state will have to raise taxes or slash funding, but Ted Strickland will have accomplished what he wants, which is to be reelected in 2010. And every observer of both sides privately will acknowledge that's what's driving his education budget. And when he said in the friend of the court brief during the school funding case, that those Republicans, they don't want to solve school funding. They don't have the political will to do that. The dispatch called him on it a few weeks ago, and he said, I have to admit, I was being duplicitous, which means deliberately deceitful. I was being duplicitous in that brief, meaning I lied. It really isn't easy to fix. And now that I'm governor, stop trying to hold me accountable to my rhetoric. I
4: think what he actually said in the brief was that you couldn't let tough times be an excuse for not fixing school funding. That's true. And uh, he is being hypocritical. uh, But what's new? I mean, Mark said he wants to be reelected governor. Gee, I've heard even Republican candidates uh, use duplicitous arguments to get reelected. And uh, Governor Strickland sometimes comes across as Uncle Ted, but uh, he and his friends in the governor's office will slit throats just as uh, well as anybody else. And they want to win.
0: So where's the middle ground here? I mean, there's got to be a budget. They have to have a budget by the time the fiscal year is over. Where's the middle ground? I mean, they has, where's it going to come? They're going to be compromised on charter schools, but you, we get more funding for social services. Um, we're going to agree to your revenue projections, but you get...
3: Compromise on charter schools, but give more money to social services? I don't know about yeah. that. No more, like you said, yeah. there's a of money. The governor's money. plan has
1: to give. You can't say smaller class sizes and all-day kindergarten, with which affect, affects buildings. Remember, we just built more st- new buildings in Ohio than but almost of any state. None that
4: stuff going to happen right away anyway. They give waivers to anybody. Anybody well, can come in and say, point, I want a waiver. Okay, you can have a waiver. So what kind of plan is it? It's yeah. a... What's that village in Russia that looks like something? Potemkin right. village, and mm, yeah. uh, the
3: only the only kind of compromise you can get, I think, ultimately, is deciding what you're going to do with that eight billion dollars yeah. that everybody agrees on. That's one-time money. I, you know that that's where it all that's where it all sits for me. Is how are you going to agree on sp- how to spend that? Because I don't see the Republicans letting that go. Right. They're not,
2: not going to right. let right. that go. The, the I think the question is going to be can we get some, some right-minded people to the table who can you know, come at it from totally different perspectives but who can take that stimulus money and say we're going to spend this on one-time projects. We are not going to commit to use that to start projects that are going to take 5, 10, 15, 20 years to complete. Because they are. They're going to be hung in a year. I, I look at, and the city's going to be in the same the same boat. I mean, we, we had President Obama came in and stood with a whole new group of police cadets. And I think that was awesome. And I'm sitting here wondering, in 11 months from now, are we going to lay them all off? What are we going to do? We've got to think beyond that. Point. So if you're going to take the $8 billion. for For heaven's sake, don't turn it back. But let's use that for some one-time things that we can do. Um, the, the school thing. I don't know. Harris is going to get his way on, on the charter schools, I think, to the detriment of a whole bunch of public school systems, um, but I think Harris is going to get his way on
4: that. You ask how it's going to be resolved. Well, fortunately, there are two experienced legislators involved. Vern Sykes goes back to the uh, Vern Reif days. John Kerry has been a finance chairman in both the House and the Senate. And either of them can you know, start breathing fire if they want to. But both of them are good at getting, sitting down at a table and working things out. Which and that's what's going to happen. You know,
3: in our, in our, in our post-vote on the, the term limits, mm-hmm. we have guys going way back to pre-term limits yeah. doing, doing the work on this one.
0: Let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Some final thoughts, some predictions for the weeks ahead. Ann Fisher, you're up
3: first. Well, one little thing that popped out at me uh, on the dispatch story about the um, budget was uh, um, a little note that said that we would uh, that they would assign they would look at they would ha- assign a study commission or some such thing to look at how to make the uh, racetracks profitable. And um, what that screamed out to me was cha-ching. Yeah, uh, well, I, if, if the racetrack people haven't have figured out how to make themselves profitable by right now, uh, nothing will except the in, inclusion of, uh, of uh, slots. It's
0: not more steroids for the horses. Not more steroids. <laughs> Bill
3: Hershey.
4: Especially in tough times, Americans prefer sunny side up to gloomy gusts. That's probably why Ted Strickland and Barack Obama have relatively high approval ratings in the recent Ohio poll. Republicans who like to talk about, quote, fiscal responsibility might instead want to talk a, a channel a little bit of Ronald Reagan.
0: Okay. Michael.
2: Um, there's an election next Tuesday, strangely enough. Um, the, um, um, the municipal parks issue will pass. Fewer than 15% of the registered voters will be there to pass it.
1: OK. And Mark. Some of Governor Strickland's staffers will have egg in their face this time next week. They're planning a rally to rally for the governor's education plan uh, in order to turn out bodies. They're having it in a field next to where union leaders already have an annual conference. So you won't see every day Ohioans there. They'll open the doors. The union leaders will come out. And they will all cheer according to the party line. And the press will report it. And so someone in governor's office will have to uh, go back to the drawing board on getting this plan passed. OK.
0: That is Columbus on the Record for this week. You can continue this conversation at our website, WOSU.org slash COTR. Our question this week, speaking of the approval, po- approval ratings, what grades would you give President Obama and Governor Strickland? That is at our website, WOSU.org slash COTR. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.